Hello, everybody. Welcome back to Canadian Patriot Radio. I'm your host, Critch. Today is February 9th, 2021. Never a dull moment in the world, it seems. And uh, today we are going to be talking about quite a bit of it, um, with our focus mainly being on uh, doctors speaking out against these, this so-called vaccine. Um, I managed to stumble upon the VAERS report, uh, adverse adverse effects to the COVID-19 uh, reporting. So we're going to go through quite a bit of that. Uh, we've got two different doctors speaking out, letting us know what this, uh, what mRNA vaccines are, or vaccines, what they actually are, which is gene therapy. And then we had Chef... Uh, he uh, contributed quite a bit to this show. So there's a lot of articles here that came by way of Chef. So all the credit to Chef. Thanks a lot, buddy. You're doing great work there. Uh, every time uh, every time I open up our convo, I've usually got at least three good articles from him. He's hard to keep up with. So good job, Chef. Um, what we were going to open with was actually one of Chef's articles. And uh, <clears throat> it comes to us from True North News. And the title reads, Beijing demands Canadian media do more to promote China. <laughs> Uh, this is from Cosmin's Desersda, uh, February 8th, 2021. The Chinese embassy in Canada issued a statement last week demanding that Canadian media outlets do more to promote China-Canadian friendship. The embassy also accused Canadian outlets of being used by anti-China forces to slander Beijing. Well, <laughs> uh, Canadian Patriot Radio has no affiliation to any media outlets and we are... We don't, it's not that we dislike China, we dislike the Chinese Communist Party. And we'll speak out against them at any chance that we absolutely get. And I'm sure that any independent media is also feels the same way. So let's just clear that up. <clears throat> we call on relevant Canadian media, media to abide by professional ethics, respect facts, distinguish right from wrong, and do more to promote China-Canadian friendship and mutual understanding between the two peoples, instead of being used by anti-China forces as a platform for disseminating disinformation, attacking and slandering China, wrote a sp spokesperson for the embassy. China has recently... China has been recently ramping up its propaganda efforts to contain the international blowback to the Chinese Communist Party mass internment and human rights abuses against the Uyghur minority and the Zhejiang in, in the Zhejiang region. The statement was issued in response to an article by the National Post which characterized the situation as genocide. However, this is not the first instance where the CCP regime has taken issues with Canadian reports it views as unflattering. <clears throat> Last week, the embassy issued a similar statement calling on Canadian media to toe the uh, CCP line when it comes to reporting on Hong Kong and Taiwan. Recent reports uh, on Zhejiang reveal extensive use of torture, mass rape, and forced labor in numerous concentration camps believed to house approximately 1 million Uyghur men, women, and children. Critics have been pushing the Canadian government for some time now to classify the CCP's treatment of the Uyghurs and other minorities as genocide. Last month, the U.S. State Department declared that the actions perpetrated against the Uyghurs people in China constitute an ongoing genocide. I believe this genocide is ongoing and that we are witnessing the systematic attempt to destroy U uh, Uyghurs by the Chinese party state. 
said former Secretary of State Mike Pompeo. In response to the U.S. decision, Prime Minister Justin Trudeau st- uh, stopped just short of making the same declaration, but did claim that he acknowledged the American designation. We have been speaking up directly to China's leadership for many years. Now, on our concern of women and ethnic ethnic minorities in Western Canada and throughout China. We will continue to stand up for human rights everywhere around the world. We will continue to call for better transparency and understanding and understanding what's happening, Trudeau said in the House of Commons. Meanwhile, he's going to ship billions to countries that absolutely uh, uh, do not respect human rights whatsoever. Uh, he's a joke. Uh, Mike Pompeo's statement was, was good. Um... You know, the China, the Chinese Communist Party has got a lot bigger problems than uh, Canadian media uh, speaking the truth. I mean, we are pay- we paid attention on this show, and obviously you guys did too, uh, to the election fraud that happened south of the line. And, uh, oh man, there was a lot of Chinese involvement in that. So this, this uh, whole game that you see these Chinese officials playing where they just... You know they're 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 attempting to take the high road. Uh, unfortunately for them, if you're affiliated at all with the Ch- uh, Chinese Communist Party, then you are basically an enemy of humanity. If you want my honest opinion of it, and the fact that you're trying to, uh, you know, extend your tentacles into North American government, which they've already got, but to the point where they would be involved in the U.S. election fraud to a degree where they put in a paper president, which is President Muffins. And, uh, you know, basically installed a controllable leader. Well, I think the problems are way bigger than just uh, the Canadian media accurately reporting what you're doing in your own country against uh, ethnic minorities. It's, uh, it's something. We'll, we'll speak out against communist China all the time. And, and you know, I'm... I'm just trying to make it clear. Like, there is absolutely no problem with Chinese people. Uh, the Chinese people have a communist regime uh, that is dictating everything to them. And not to mention, has does not let go of their people no matter where they are. In, Ca- in Canada, the U.S., they're always, you know, they're always threatening. And from what I understand, uh, these people are kind of always under constant attack from the CCP. Like, I don't think you ever escape it. Like, they know where their people are. Not necessarily their people, but Chinese people that get off or out of the country. From what I understand. Now, I could be wrong. You know, there's a lot of Ch- uh, Chinese people within Canada that probably don't have any problems with uh, CCP at all. And, I mean, we're talking generations. Uh, Chinese people, chi- people with Chinese background are just as Canadian as you and me. They've been here as long as we have. Um, so, <clears throat> I just want to make that clear. Like, there's, there's no, uh, you know how they're trying to skew it. You know, with what what that guy from the embassy said. Um, uh, Right here, he says, We call on relevant Canadian media to abide by professional ethics, respect facts, distinguish from right and wrong, and do more to promote China-Canadian friendship and mutual understanding between these two peoples. Instead of being used by anti-China forces as a platform for uh, disseminating disinformation, attacking and slandering China. Well, let's be clear nobody's attacking and slandering China. Most of us in independent media are attacking and slandering the Chinese Communist Party. (laughs) So let's just get that clear (laughs) and on the record. 
Anyway, friends, let's get this show started. We got uh, quite a bit more to cover. Conspiracy is not theory, and political corruption finds the spotlight. God-given rights to life, liberty, and freedom with all thy sons command. Okay, welcome back everybody. We are just going to jump right into the next Chef article here, um, which comes to us by way of the Western Producer, which is a paper that my uh, dad used to read, probably still does for years. So uh, it was kind of nice to see this one come across a guy's desk to see that they're actually doing, you know, some pretty good reporting here. And the title reads, Bill, Bill Gates owns largest ownership stake at CN Rail. This is by Sean Pratt and it was published February 4th, 2021. Bill Gates controls a 16.36% stake in Canadian National Railway through Cascade Investments, LLC, and the Bill and Melinda Gates Foundation Trust. The founder of Microsoft is also the largest farmland owner in the United States and has invested heavily in plant protein. The fourth richest man in the world has quietly become by far the biggest shareholder in Canada's largest railway. Microsoft founder Bill Gates has amassed a sizable ownership stake in Canadian National Railway Co. Most of these shares were acquired through Cascade Investment LLC, an investment firm solely owned by Gates. 
Cascade owns 101,400,770 shares or 14.28% of the railway, according to CNN Business. The Bill and Melinda Gates Foundation Trust owns another 13,661,683 shares or 2.08% of the company. Combined, that is 16.36% ownership stake in Canadian National Rail. The next largest shareholder is Massachusetts Financial Services Co. with a 4.79% share of the company. Gates has been investing in CN since 2006, and his total investment in the railway is valued at $16.3 billion. Barry Prentice, professor of supply chain management at the University of Manitoba and former director of the university, university's Transport Institute, said railways are popular investments for rich folks like Gates. Warren Buffett, the world's seventh richest, richest man, according to Forbes, owns the Burlington Northern Santa Fe Railway Co., the largest freight railroad in North America, according to Wikipedia. Just imagine owning a railway. Who could dream of that, said Prentice. He thinks rail railways are asset-heavy investments that are a good hedge against inflation. People like that who have a lot of wealth, they want to put it into something that's going to hold value, says Prentice. Technology stocks have rapidly risen in value as of late, but Prentice wonders if somebody like Gates, who is intimately familiar with that world recognizes that tech stocks may not be as sustainable and reliable as something like railway. He has referred to it as an investment in things that hurt when you drop them on your foot. The railways are pretty essential and they're pretty guaranteed. They're going to run no matter what, he said. This is going back to the notion of value investing. If you're investing in assets, they're likely going to hold their value one way or another. The same logic may have led Gates into investing in farmland. Um, <clears throat> I'm just going to step out of here for a minute. The fact that Bill Gates is the major shareholder of CN and we're seeing the cancellation of the uh, Keystone XL pipeline. Do you think that's a coincidence? <laughs> not, yeah, no, not even remotely. This guy holds way more sway than people want to to admit. And the fact that he's buying up like crazy amounts of farmland in the U.S., really makes me think that he's got something else planned with this mRNA vaccine. Let's not forget that Bill Gates is right at the heart of this. And that's why these stories <clears throat> all seem to tie together when you start looking at the people involved in all of them. So <clears throat> uh, according to the Land Report magazine, Gates has become the largest farmland owner in the United States. He owns an estimated 242,000 acres of farmland. A little more than half of his land holdings are in Louisiana, Arkansas, and Nebraska. Gates has more than U.S. Uh, 690 million tied up in farmland, according to the land report. The vast majority of land was accumul uh, accumulated in a 2017 deal with Cascade when Cascade acquired a group of farmland assets from the Canada Pension Plan Investment Board for 520 million. Why in the hell? Is the Canada Pension Plan Investment Board, the Canada Pension Plan, why were they owning farmland in the U.S.? <laughs> Look at this article's raising more questions. The Canada Pension Plan had previously acquired the assets when it bought the Agricultural Company of America 
in 2013 and a 40% stake in Glencore Agricultural Products in 2016, according to the Land Report. Meanwhile, the Canada Pension Plan is only paying out our seniors 700 what? $700 a month or $700 every 2 weeks? And they're they're buying up like massive amounts of land in the US. Does anybody else see a problem with that? Am I the only one that thinks, you know, if you have this much excess cash to go down to the States and become a record landowner in the U.S., maybe just for one second you should be paying our seniors a little bit more. These people have paid into this system their whole fucking lives, and you're going down to the U.S. and buying up farmland? Holy crap. Just a whole nother scam. That's all CCP is. The Canada Pension Plan, sorry. <laughs> Not the Chinese Communist Party. <laughs> Holy, all these C's and P's, it's getting me all tongue twisted. Oh, man, this is immediately is getting me fired up. <clears throat> Let's carry on here. Gates has become keenly interested in food production in recent years, in particular with the, veg- with the vegetable protein business. He was one of the initial investors in Impossible Foods, Beyond Meat, Memphis Meats. Gates was also an early backer of Hampton, Hampton Creek Foods, which, uh, which became Just Incorporated. In 2013, in a 2013 blog post, the man who revolutionized the computer software business said he has recently sampled a chicken taco made out of plants. It was the taste of future foods, he wrote. <sighs> oh man, this guy rubs me wrong i'm also a cattle producer my friend so this is just striking oh man oh boy gates said he is not a vegetarian in fact he loves hamburgers but raising meat takes a great deal of land and water and there isn't enough meat production to feed the world (laughs) when you're buying up all the land let's just scratch our heads for a minute here In a 2015 blog, he noted that raising animals takes a big toll on the environment. That is a flat-out lie, and I'm going to tell you after this article. You have to feed the animal for far more calories than you extract when you eat it, he said. That is so stupid. It is especially problematic as we convert large swaths of land from crops that feed people to crops that feed cows and pigs. Sustainability could have also been a motivating factor for Gates to invest in CN, says Prentice. The railway recently announced that it ranked 10th in on the Corporate Knights 2021 Global 100 Index of the most sustainable corporations in the world. It's the only railway on the list. The whole system's rigged, eh? These people invest in something and all of a sudden they're getting awards, right? Like they're, they're oh, globalists. They drive me absolutely nuts. And they think that they're, you know, they think they're doing all this and we don't notice. It just, oh, God. Okay, Prentice said, rail is pretty sustainable compared to other forms of transportation due to the low rolling resistance of steel on steel. When he was a a youth, he traveled to Western Canada and visited, visited a cousin who was the manager of a grain elevator. His cousin asked Prentice to help move a rail car with nothing more than a pry bar. The two of us actually got the rail car to move. I couldn't believe it. I mean, the rolling resistance is so small that you can actually do this, he said. Okay, well, that last little part was absolutely useless to read, but we did it anyway. Okay, let's circle back to some of the lies that we uh, that we just read from Bill Gates. Um, uh, you have to feed the animal far more calories than you extract when you eat it. Okay, so 
It's especially problematic as we convert large swaths of land from crops that feed people to crops that feed cows and pigs. So this is all BS. Absolute BS. Um, you know, I come from a background where I had a PFRA, Prairie Farm Rehabilitation Administration exposure. So I learned about uh, rotational grazing at a very young age. I learned sustainability. I learned that... Uh, you know, back when the government of Canada wasn't as corrupt as it was now, it actually financed programs like the PFRA. And uh, it was integrated into the whole idea was sustainability uh, with rotational grazing and the fact that, um, you know, they could co-mingle in habitats. Ducks Unlimited Canada actually uh, throws out contracts, used to throw out contracts to PFRAs because cattle were the only thing that could come, you know, come in and manage the grass. that would just get out absolutely out of control in these wetlands and coexist with everything else. So this, him, you know, this lie that he's spewing right here, that it's, it's, it's chewing up so much land and we won't be able to feed people. Uh, cows and pigs and chickens and every farm basically produced animal has been feeding people since before, you know, crop, I shouldn't say crops, but like since the beginning of time, you know, t- since we domesticated them, right? So this is just stupid. You know, when I, when I see this rhetoric coming out of these globalists, it's just, it's so it's so mind-boggling that they can say these things with a straight face, you know? So, you know, getting back to my point, though, I mean, it's been proven when it's done properly that, uh, you know, cattle management is actually quite easy. Um, It's just a matter of keeping an eye on your grass and not letting them overgraze it. And, uh, you know, moving them once once you see, okay, or, you know, you're lacking rains or whatever, you got to move them to somewhere else. You you graze... You know, a cow to t- a cow per ten acres, basically. Holy, you know, the, we're talking about hundreds of years of of a an industry, the cattle industry, and then you've got a guy, a tech guy, coming in and telling you that it's not sustainable. Like, who is this guy? Besides the son of a what? What was his dad? CIA, and he actually didn't even do anything with Microsoft. They basically put him there and said, here. We'll just say, we'll just make it look like you created Microsoft when in actuality he ripped off all the technology from other people and did absolutely nothing. Like the guy's just a big, he's just a front man, you know, with CIA ties through his father. So do not listen to anything that this idiot has to say. Just a fortunate front man that they're masquerading as one of the richest guys in the world when he's just a front for the whole globalist agenda. So anyway... As you can tell, that one got under my skin as well. <laughs> Great article, Chef. Get me all fired up here. <laughs> okay, speaking of guilt, uh, Bill Gates, let's talk about another thing that he's got his uh, dirty dick beaters all over, which is the COVID-19 vaccine. Now, <clears throat> I stumbled into uh, the VAERS, which is the Vaccine Adverse Event Reporting System, and I managed to find, because what we ch- like to do, what I like to do almost every show is bring to you guys the news that you aren't getting, uh, which is the deaths mainly that are being caused by this uh, so-called vaccine. And uh, this, this VAERS is a wealth of information. So um, what I have found here and what I want to do is I want to go through a, b- a bit of this. There's so many that I, we're not going to get through them. It's uh, found 501 cases where vaccine targets COVID-19 and patient died. So 501 people right now in VAERS, uh, just in the U.S. alone, I believe. This is just the U.S., yes. And uh, 
there's 501 cases where people died. Now, most of these are seniors, but I, what I want to do is I want to just break some of these down and, uh, <clears throat> you know, tell you, tell you the age, uh, basically location, and then there's write-ups on a lot of these that you, you should hear. Um, so that's what we'll do. We'll go through quite a few of these. Um, the first one is age 66. It was a male in Colorado. And the write-up on the bottom is the resident was sleepy and stayed in bed most of the shift. This is right after he got his vaccine. He stated he was doing okay, but requested pain medication for his legs at 2.50 p.m. At 2.55 a.m., the resident was observed in bed lying still, pale, eyes half open, foam coming out of his mouth, and unresponsive. He was not breathing and had no pulse. So he, you know, these are all deaths, obviously, but <clears throat> that's a 66-year-old in Colorado. Let's move on to another one. Um, male, age 84, location, California. Patient had mild hypertension, decreased oral intake, uh, sonomalance, starting three days after vaccination and death five days after administration. He did have advanced dementia and was and was hospice eligible based on history of aspiration pneumonia. So there is co comorbidity. Uh, uh, there is underlying health conditions here. But <clears throat> what you're going to note is the trend here. We're talking usually sometimes within hours of receiving this vaccine. You know, so this guy was obviously, you know, his underlying health conditions he had learned to live with at his age. I mean, we're talking about an 80, 84 year old. Uh, that died three days after being vaccinated. Let's move on to the next one. 84 year old female from Texas. Vaccine administration with no immediate, uh, immediate adverse reaction at 1129 AM. Vaccine screening questions were completed and resident was not feeling sick and temperature was 98 degrees Fahrenheit. At approximately 1.30 PM, the resident passed away. <laughs> Jesus. So two hours later she died. Uh, let's do the next one. This is an 85-year-old female from Pennsylvania. Uh, the write-up is, My grandmother died a few hours after receiving the Mo Moderna COVID vaccine booster 1. While I don't expect the events are related, the treating hospital did not acknowledge this, and I want to be sure the report was made. <clears throat> so you're going to get both sides. You're going to have the belief and disbelief, right? But I mean, let's just note the trend here, right? Okay, the next one is a 74-year-old male from Michigan. Uh, the write-up is, spouse awoke and found spouse dead. Client was not transferred to the hospital. Doesn't give us how long, um, how long this person, how long after they were vaccinated. All it tells you is they were vaccinated, the date they were vaccinated. Some of them give you, oh, days after vaccination, four. Never mind, I found it. <laughs> so this is four days after vaccination. The last one we read was zero days after vaccination, and the, the one before that was zero days. The one before that was three days. So, I just gotta, we'll, we'll look at this. This is a, next one is an 89-year-old female from Iowa. The write-up is, resident in our long-term care facility who received first dose of Moderna COVID-19 vaccine, only documented uh, side effect was mild fatigue after receiving. She passed away of natural causes per report. Her previ uh, has previously been in and out of hospice care, resided in nursing nursing home for nine plus years, elderly with dementia. Due to proximity of vaccination, we felt we should report the death, even though it is not believed to be related. This was five days after the vaccination. <clears throat> 
So you got a lot of people running cover uh, in these long-term care homes too. You know, they're reporting it to VAERS, but they're actually putting in their write-ups that, you know, don't worry, it's not related. We've seen a lot of that with the with the stories we've covered. Hey, friends, we're, we're, there's a trend here. And, you know, what we're starting to, you know, we're peeling back a little bit of this, this uh, vaccination onion, and we're starting to see that there are payouts happening for people that, that report it this way. You know, a lot of these, and the reason that this is so, I think, uh, relevant and why we need to be talking about this is because they're talking, they are rolling this out within our senior homes in, in Canada. And I myself have, um, a pa- one parent that is in a long-term care facility and, uh, it worries me and I've already phoned her and told her, you know, don't, don't be taking this, don't be taking this vaccine. This is why it's in the end, it's your choice. But I just, if I never said this to you, I would regret it for the rest of my life because I'm doing research on this all the time. So if I don't tell you this, I would, if you, and you get the vaccine and you have an adverse effect or God forbid you die, I would live with that for the rest of my life, not saying that to my parent. And I don't want that. <laughs> let's, do, let's just carry on. We're obviously not going to do all of them. There's 501, but I just want to just show you the trends here. <clears throat> the next one is a female age 83, also in California, right up within 24 hours of receiving the vaccine, fever and respiratory distress. And anxiety developed requiring oxygen, morphine, and Ativan. My mom passed away later that evening. So she died one day after receiving the vaccination. The next one is a 63-year-old male from Illinois. Uh, (laughs) The write-up on this one is quite simple. It says, resident coded and expired. (laughs) Days after vaccination, one. That was the uh, Pfizer-BioNTech. The next one is a 78-year-old male from Nebraska. The write-up is injection given on 12-28-20, no adverse events, no issues yesterday, death today, 12-30-20, approximately 2 a.m. today. Unknown if related, administrator marked as natural causes. That is two days after vaccination. Okay. The next one is a 63-year-old male from Illinois. Um, The write-up is death by massive heart attack, Pfizer-BioNTech COVID-19 vaccine. Uh, Four days after receiving the vaccination, this fellow had a massive heart attack. Now, some of these, you know, I'm going to be fair. Some of these are, you know, could very well be nothing to do with the vaccination whatsoever. Uh, but it's just the trend here, right? <clears throat> and especially with our elderly, that's what concerns me the most here is like, we're just going to give these people this vaccination. And then when they all start falling over dead, which we are covering right now, they are falling over dead after getting this vaccine. We can blame it on natural causes because a lot of them have underlying health conditions or heck, heck we'll just call it COVID-19 and just to keep that false narrative going so that we can still maintain this ridiculous control, fascist control that we're putting over the people of Canada. The next one is an 88-year-old female from Kentucky. The write-up is, patient passed away with within an hour to an hour and a half after receiving the vaccine. Per nursing home staff, they did not expect patient to make it many more days. Patient was unresponsive in room when shot was given per nursing home staff. Patient was 14 plus days post COVID. So that she had this 88 year old female had actually survived COVID 19, 
made it through COVID-19, gets the vaccination, and dies, like, immediately. Days after vaccination, zero. She died immediately after getting the vaccination. So our elderly are the most at risk here. Here's another, a 90-year-old female from Kentucky. Patient was a nursing home patient. Patient received first dose of COVID-19 vaccine. Patient was monitored for 15 minutes after getting shot. Staff reported that patient was 15 days post-COVID. Patient passed away within 90 minutes of getting the vaccine. Another, this is another elderly female that actually survived COVID that passed away 90 minutes after getting the vaccine. Obviously, I don't need to say this, but the days after vaccination is zero. And that's the Pfizer BioNTech. Here's another one. Another 88-year-old female from Kentucky. Patient received vaccine at COVID clinic on 1230 at approximately 330. Patient vomited four minutes after receiving shot. Dark brown vomit. Staff reported patient had vomited night before. Per staff report, patient became short short of breath between 6 and 7 p.m. that night. Patient had DN, uh, do not resuscitate on file. Patient passed away at approximately 10 p.m. Staff reported patient was 14 days plus past COVID, post-COVID. So she had COVID too. She had, had, had survived it. Like this is shocking. And then gets the vaccine and dies the same day as the vaccine. And the, the mainstream media is not talking about this whatsoever. They are killing our grandparents, my friends. With this fucking vaccine. This is sad. I'm going to scroll down a little bit because it, there's, there's a whole string of, of, it's the same thing. Mid 80s to 90 year old females in Kentucky. There's how many now? One, two, three, four, five. Same thing. Days after vaccination, zero. Heck, I'll just read this one to you. It's an 85 year old female from Kentucky. <clears throat> Resident received vaccine per pharmacy at the facility at 5 p.m. Approximately 6.45, resident found unresponsive and EMS was contacted. Upon EMS res- arrival at facility, resident went into cardiac arrest. Code initiated by EMS and transported to hospital. Resident expired at hospital at approximately 8 p.m. 5 p.m., this, this female got the shot, and at 8 p.m., she was dead. <clears throat> Um, let's just scroll down and see what else we got here. We have an 82-year-old male from Arkansas. After vaccination, patient tested positive for COVID-19. Patient was very ill and had numerous chronic health issues prior to vaccination. Facility had a number of patients who had already tested positive for COVID-19. Vaccination continued in an effort to prevent this patient from contracting the virus or to mitigate the risk. This was unsuccessful and patient died. So they're covering that. So obviously, or maybe they're, maybe they're telling the truth. I don't know. I, you know, like I said, I'm speculating when I say that there's payouts for this, but, um, I have read more than one report. Let's put it that way. Quite a few, uh, of, of especially stateside of doctors and nurses admitting that the, uh, that the hospital receives more money for calling it COVID-19. And I can't see it being any different in long-term healthcare uh, facilities, you know, saying that it's actually a COVID-19 death as, as opposed to, you know, they're never going to report that there's deaths related to the, to the actual vaccination. 
Uh, what else do we got here? I'm going to do a few more of these because it's, it's just, it's so shocking. And there's so many of these, so many of these, you know what? Um, I'll put this up on the Facebook page so you guys can go through this on your own because it's, it's unbelievable. Uh, here, like a 64 year old male in California. And it, the write-up is just one, one, uh, 2020 resident was found unresponsive, pronounced deceased at 6.02 PM. Uh, died two days after receiving vaccination just gonna get, go to the next page here next one is a 65 year old female from florida uh the write-up is pretty generic it's resident found unresponsive without pulse respirations at 430 cpr performed expired at 452 by rescue uh patient died two days after receiving vaccination the next is a 65 year old male from florida um Resident became congested and hypoxic, requiring oxygen, respiratory treatments, and suctioning. Stabilized after treatment and for the next 72, 72 hours with oxygen saturations in the 90s. On 1-3-2021, was found without a pulse and respirations. Residence was a do not, resuscitate, do not resuscitate on hospice. This fellow, the 65, like he's only 65, died two days after uh, receiving the vaccination. Okay. Okay, this is a 94-year-old male from Michigan. The write-up is two days post-vaccine. Uh, patient went into cardiac arrest and passed away. Uh, days after vaccination, three, two days. Sorry, two days, sorry. The next is a 50-year-old female from Nebraska, 50. <laughs> That's not much older than me, my friends. Uh, syncopal episode or, uh, arrested uh, CPR and then death so the write-up is basically non-existent but this is zero days after vaccination so I'm going to assume that she got the vaccine and was just like Tiffany Dover probably had uh, she passed out and then started having a uh, basically a cardiac arrest they performed CPR and she died and let's not forget Tiffany Dover was what 30 I don't remember exactly but mm. I'm um, scrolling down here just to see if we can mix it up a little bit. I'm, I'm looking for... Um, what I'm looking for is write-ups that actually get it, it more into detail. Okay, this person is a 92-year-old 90, female from Indiana. Um, this write-up is quite extensive. 12-30-2020, a.m. Resident noted having some redness in face and respirations were fast. Resident vital signs were abnormal except blood pressure. Temp at the time was 102 degrees Fahrenheit, taken uh, temporal. Resident respirations were at 22, labored at times. Pulse was is 105 and pulse oxygen is 94% of room air. Resident is made comfortable in bed, notified triage of change in condition, also made tri uh, triage aware of resident receiving COVID vaccination yesterday morning. Resident appetite and fluid consumption has been poor for a few days. 12-30-2020, a.m., received order from agency to administer acetaminophen or aspirin, 650 milligrams, rectally due to resident not wanting to swallow anything, including fluids, medications, and notified family of resident having temperature and vital signs, excluding uh, BP that was abnormal, <clears throat> blood pressure. Family was thankful for the call in 
inerrant to nurse and family does not want residents sent to hospital. Did educate family on benefits of hospice services, but family persisted on continuing daily care provided by nursing staff. Request visits if decline continues. Family assured if resident continues to decline, uh, faculty will accommodate residents, resident family to be able to be at bedside when time comes to do so. Family chose at that time to sign for hospice services and not to have resident provided uh, with IVF or IV anti or IV antibiotic antibiotics. So this person, this patient was being disagreeable, but this is a death one day after vaccination. So sometimes the details don't help us. <laughs> Sorry, but I'm trying to get as much detail as we can here. <clears throat> uh, what is the next one? We have a 93 year old male from South Dakota. The write-up is the resident received the vaccination around 11 a.m. and tolerated w- tolerated it without any difficulty or immediate as- adverse effects. He was at therapy from 12.36 p.m. until 1.22 p.m. when he stated he was too tired and could not do anymore. The therapist took him back to his room at that time and he got into bed himself and stated his legs felt heavy. At 1.50 p.m., the CNA answered his call light and found he had taken himself into the bathroom. She stated that when he went that when he went to get back into bed, there was abnor- it was abnormal how he was getting into, so she assisted him. At that time, he quit breathing, and she called a resident nurse into the room immediately. He found he was found without a pulse, respirations, blood pressure at 1:54 p.m. He was a do not resuscitate. That's zero days after. So 11 a.m. he got the vaccine. And at 1.54, he died. So there, there is a trend here within like two, three hours with a lot of these elderly people. Uh, there's a 58-year-old female from Kentucky found deceased in her home, unknown cause, six days after vaccine. So you get the point. And like I said, I will, uh, I will put this up on the Facebook page. Um, and I think I've already got this in the Telegram page for... Uh, when you guys join that, you can see all, there's a whole bunch of stuff in there that I've been putting in there that you guys will like. So uh, I encourage you all to join that. But I will put it up on the Facebook page because just right now the Telegram page is kind of non-existent. <laughs> need, need, uh, let me know you guys if you can find it. Um, maybe that's what's going on here. But it, it would be a, a good place to for all of us to converse and, and use in a way that uh, we haven't been able to before. But anyway, so Vares is doing a really good job in reporting... Um, people that are dying after receiving this vaccine and and particularly concerning is the fact that it's our you know it's our grandparents and and i just it it scares the shit out of me to to you know as you guys know my my situation with with my mom basically you know she's got underlying health conditions and uh you know after after researching this even before i found this vares report i i had phoned her and said you know look like maybe rethink getting this vaccine i don't know if you've even got the choice being in a long-term care facility but i'm i'm pretty worried because i'm i'm starting to see a trend here uh with elderly people with underlying health conditions that are basically dying or having extremely adverse effects because of this vaccine so and she you know she's she's my mom she took it into account and she said well thanks for phoning me and letting me know and i said you know, I basically told her what I told you guys. Like, I wouldn't be able to live with, live with myself if you got this vaccine and it harmed you and I didn't say something. And I'm sure all of you guys are the same. So, 
anyway let's uh let's move out of this and into um another article or clip here okay we have two clips that i wanted to at least get um you know, uh, our feet a little bit wet with them. Uh, they're both extremely long, but they're both very, very qualified doctors. Uh, the first one is Dr. Lee Merritt, and he she is being interviewed by um, Alex Newman from the uh, thenewamerica.com. So let's let's listen to a bit of this because it's going to kind of um, you know broaden our knowledge about what mRNA vaccines are or vaccines mRNA gene therapy. Oh wow! I bet that was exciting. Yeah. Uh, so um, tell us a little bit about your thoughts on this this COVID and, and how it, it seems like it's just the perfect excuse to uh, take our rights, shut down our businesses, destroy our economy, uh, overrule our, our you know, personal bodily integrity. Now they're saying maybe we're going to have mandatory vaccines. Uh, what are your thoughts on this COVID? Is the virus, does it really justify the level of hysteria we've seen and the massive expansion of government power that we've seen? Well, the simple answer is no, it does not. And, um, you know, when I gave my talk in August at the Doctors for Disaster Preparedness, the, name, the talk was SARS-CoV-2 and the Rise of Medical Technocracy. Now, I, I had been asked to talk, and I, I had come up with an idea years before that. Literally, I'd started thinking about a talk for them over the couple years, because I go to the meetings periodically. And my talk was on the weaponization of medicine. The problem is, by the time I actually was ready to give the talk, I had to change things so rapidly because they they did it. They did kind of what I thought, you know. And I really do believe we're at war. We're not. We're we're in an unconventional, unrestricted war, the kind that the the, the military Chinese generals talked about 30 years ago. And I'm not saying this is just coming from China, but but that's the proximate military militarization of this. And, and my thought before I even before all this happened, when I was just theoretically thinking about this, was you know warfare has um, changed over time. You know we started just hitting each other over with clubs, and then we went to set piece battles, and then we went to you know we as Americans we kind of pioneered guerrilla warfare, shooting behind trees, and the British thought that was unsportsmanlike, and, and on and on. But but in our lifetime. Uh, what I call military, uh, you know, conflict 4.0, and I made this up before I ever even heard people now talking about fifth generation warfare, but that's really what we're talking about. 4.0 was when we were fighting, say, ISIS or the tower or um, Al Qaeda, and you you knew maybe who the enemy was by the Geneva Convention. They appeared like a standing army. They had uniforms. They had training. They used you know group tactics and things. But you really weren't 100% sure who the enemy was because you didn't know who was funding them, who was sending them weapons, who was really doing the training. So there was plausible deniability, but what if you could take it the next step further? So what, I, what I've called and what I've learned, actually some other people call Warfare 5.0, what if you had a weapon that was so stealth that not only did you not know who the enemy was, you didn't even know you were being attacked. So it looked like nature. Okay, and that's really what we're in here, in my opinion, is that kind of scenario. So what they've done, and, and this is again my thinking about this, I didn't read this anywhere, but I know about how this thing came about. One of the things I learned, and I actually learned from a somewhat, I, I figured this out, but then I was confirmed by a Taiwanese engineer on an airplane I was on one night. And he said that they don't listen. The reason they didn't get hit badly with this virus, they figured it out right away, is that they don't listen to what the Chinese Communist Party propaganda, their news, listen. they don't listen to them. What they do is they have a whole department 
that screens their social media. And when they see something get censored, they start looking at it, that that must be the truth. Now that's something that we should start appreciating here in America today. Wow. But so, so I'm gonna tell you, I, I believed early on in February that this was a biologically manipulated bioweapon because the minute that anybody popped up with data suggesting that, they were censored. You right. know, the, the old military air, air the, uh, pilot dictum that when you're catching flak, you're over the target. So I believe that. And I think there's a, I, I, you know, we don't have time to go into it, but I think there's a host of evidence that shows coronavirus is a naturally occurring, very benign virus that doesn't even give most people the cold, but at the most it gives you a common cold, right? Doesn't kill you, doesn't make you very sick. But what they've done is it's the transmission device. So think about how we were years ago. It, when we first came into the nuclear age, we couldn't easily distribute nuclear weapons. We had to drop them from onto the Japanese cities of Hiroshima and Nagasaki. So we had we just had to take them in a plane. But now we have the hard part is actually the guide, guidance missile, the guidance missile technology. So in bioweapons, what we had is we had a lot of bioweapons over the years. And the one I was very worried about was smallpox. But some of these, most of these bioweapons were either hard to distribute or there was treatment for them or something. And the problem here is, is distribution. So here, like, you know, remember the anthrax thing, it came out in the envelopes, it went to Congress. It's hard to distribute anthrax. It might be deadly to some people, but it's hard to distribute. So let's pick, let's make a missile. And the missile is coronavirus, which is a huge, highly transmissible, very small particle virus. It can't be masked away no matter what the propaganda is. You can't hide from it behind a plastic little screen that costs businesses too much money. It's just incredibly transmissible, but it's very benign. Now add to that uh, the basically the warhead. And the warhead is a little protein that they tacked on that attaches to your ACE2 pathway. And human beings have these ACE2 pathways that's somewhat genetically determined. And when you when you uh, put on this 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 hook, this what they call the spike protein, then it gets into these ACE2 pathways, which now is in your heart, in your lungs, in your testicle, in your brain. It can kill you. Now, I believe what happened here is that whether, and we can argue, I kind of think it was let out purposely, but Ida can't prove that. It, it was either accidentally released or it was let out purposely, but whatever, it happened. When it first came out, like many viruses, I believe that it was, it was worse, the first generation was more deadly, okay? So that it came out, it did kill a lot of people in Wuhan, it did kill people in Lombardy, I tell people, you know there's a problem when doctors are dying, and doctors and nurses in Lombardy were dying. If we can't save ourselves, we're in trouble. That's the time to go to your basement. It does help to go to your basement. <laughs> but you can't then go out to have a beer or go out and go to the grocery store. <laughs> that's that's just shutting down people's business for economic warfare. But real isolation, like against smallpox, works. So anyway, it first came out to Lombardy. It went to New York. That was probably first-generation virus, and it did kill a bunch of people initially. But just like most viruses, almost all viruses that I know of, you know, as they pass through the human host, they get weaker. This is just a, you know, adaptive advantage. If you're the Napoleon of viruses and you want to take over the world, you don't want to kill every host you come across. You're not going to spread. So what you do is you become less, less deadly, more transmissible. And that's what this has done over time. That's my belief about the big picture here. But what happened is as soon as this thing came out, it became, you know, it's very easy to piggyback onto things. And whether, like I say, whether if this was a planned release, then we're talking about planned warfare. If it was an accidental release, then we're talking about warfare that was piggybacked onto this accidental release. Because what they've done is they've made it, they've used it to create fear. And fear is an incredible uh, psychological manipulator of populations. If I want to make everybody, you know, if I want to 
they've taken look at they like you said they've taken down our economy they've taken they're taking down our generation of children with these stupid masks they're damaging us in all sorts of ways and it's a psyop at this point because here's the other thing we learned and i don't think they i don't really think they expected us doctors like myself i mean we had nothing to do we were shut down we were sitting at home and what do we do our response is to study and we learned lots of things. In fact, I found out that we had treatment for viruses probably going back into the 19, late 70s. And so I graduated medical school in 1980, so I'm an old fart. But my son graduated much later, just recently, and he's a general surgeon. And I asked him, I said, have you ever heard in your entire medical education, all the fellowship and all the stuff you're doing, you ever heard we could treat viruses with, with, bio, with these antimicrobial agents? No, he never heard it. Called my friend in Florida. 40-year internal medicine professor, real medicine doctor. He said, you ever heard that we could treat viruses with some kind of antimicrobial agent? No, he never heard that. So this is the biggest lie. I, I tried to publish a paper called that, but they maybe changed the title to something I can't remember. But it's about the fact that they've lied to us for 40 years about this treatment. So here's the big picture. If you have, if you bring out a virus like this, you don't need, when we talk about vaccines and things, why do we have vaccines? We have vaccines because we didn't have treatment for small for smallpox. We didn't, and it was a very deadly disease. That made sense to have a vaccine. We didn't have treatment for um, polio initially, so it made sense to have a vaccine. But this, even without doing anything, this disease has a 99.991% chance of survival in last viral season. I'll call it a viral season because it really isn't just a flu season anymore. But mm -hmm. you know, in the winter season, that's what our Last season, that's what our horrible, including New York and everything, that was the overall survival in the world. As opposed to a standard viral flu season, it's 99.992%. You see the big difference. So, so number one, it's not that all deadly. But number two, we actually have a treatment for this that works extremely well. In spite of all the propaganda and the attempts to falsify the medical literature, which they've gotten caught at, and the attempts to dis, dis, just dismiss anything they don't agree with, we not we have treatment for it and it really does work so we don't need and you'd say why would they hide treatment well i can come up with two reasons one is that um your 69 billion dollar vaccine industry goes to zero if you have an effective treatment for all these viral airborne diseases right so mumps measles blah 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 it might help all of these. We don't know completely yet because they didn't. And, and to be clear, you're talking about things like uh, chloroquine and hydroxychloroquine. Right, and ivermectin. There are probably mm -hmm. others. These are called... So I kind of screwed up. I did the doctors backwards. Um, <clears throat> Lee kind of did, did uh, the connecting of the dots. And our next doctor... Um, oh, where's his name now? Dr. David Martin. He's the one that talks about gene therapy. So... You kind of get the relevance, um, how this all ties in. Um, Dr. Lee Merritt uh, gives you the Chinese angle, um, the the warfare, the bio-warfare angle, um, the PSYOP, everything. She she just does a great collaboration. The whole clip is good. It's, it's 30 minutes long. Um, <clears throat> but uh, obviously you can see the relevance. And so now what I want to do is move us over to Dr. David Martin, who actually does talk about uh, gene therapy as opposed to vaccines. So let's uh, let's listen to this a bit of this clip too. Okay, this next clip uh, comes to us by way of the Wise Traditions podcast. So let's just jump into it here and see what uh, uh, Dr. David Martin has to tell us here. It's lovely to be here. David, I have a friend that works in the school system and she just got a letter 
suggesting that she's an essential worker and that she needs to get this vaccine, one of these new vaccines being developed against this COVID virus. What should she know before she goes for it, if she goes for it? Well, let's start with your opening sentence. None of the words in the order that you use them actually exist in reality. So let's unpack that. Okay. First of all, there is no vaccine that is in development or contemplated that actually is a vaccine against the SARS-CoV-2 virus. That doesn't exist. That hasn't been developed. And it isn't even at this point in time in contemplation. And that's one of the unfortunate things about what's going on in the propaganda war right now, which is that in February, the World Health Organization made it abundantly clear that SARS-CoV-2, or the virus, and COVID-19, which is actually a series of clinical presentations of illness, were two distinct things. You're making an interesting distinction. I have heard that, that SARS-CoV-2 is, quote unquote, the virus, and that COVID-19 is the disease. Is that what you're saying? Well, COVID-19 is not a disease. COVID-19 is a series of clinical symptoms. It is a giant umbrella of things associated with what used to be associated with influenza and with other febrile diseases. But the problem that we have is that in February, the World Health Organization was very clear on stating that there should not be a conflation between the two of these things. One is a virus in their definition, and one is a set of clinical symptoms. And the illusion in February was that SARS-CoV-2 caused COVID-19. The problem with that definition and the problem with the expectation is that the majority of people who test positive using the RT-PCR method for testing for fragments of what is associated with SARS-CoV-2 actually are not ill at all. So the illusion that the virus causes a disease fell apart. That's the reason why they invented the term asymptomatic carrier. Yes, hold up, hold up. So I'm wrapping my head around what you're saying. In other words, I might get a positive result from this PCR test and the reason I'm not just asymptomatic, <laughs> what I'm, what's happening is I'm actually not sick at all. They've made a false assumption that SARS-CoV-2 causes COVID-19. Yeah, and that's never been the case. It never has been the case. It never will be the case. There is a causal statement that is made in the media where, for example, Johns Hopkins or the COVID tracker platform or any of these things has intentionally misled the people. There are not 5,000 new cases in Virginia. There potentially may be several thousand positive PCR tests, but most of the people who have a positive test will never have a single symptom. And most of the people who have the symptoms do not have positive tests. I know some individuals recently who said that very thing. They were like, I was really feeling sick and I got a negative test. And my sister-in-law, who was feeling great, got a positive test. Yep. And that will always be the case. The causal link that the media has made and the causal link that the CDC has made and the causative link that the COVID tracker 
which is the collaboration between the Bloomberg Foundation, the Gates Foundation, Zuckerberg Foundation, and others. The official numbers that we get traped across the screens every morning of our computers and our televisions, those numbers are willfully lying. And they have been willfully lying since the inception of this. So we're just going to run a little bit over here because I, I want to just cover both these doctors are just solid gold. So um, we're going to go over the hour mark and uh, just carry on with this interview. Okay, I'm just going to skip ahead also to when he gets into uh, what exactly this vaccine is. He says the word vaccination. The public understanding is that you are being treated with an attenuated or a live virus or a fragment of an attenuated or live virus, and that the treatment is meant to keep you from getting an infection and it is meant to keep you from transmitting the infection. That's what a vaccine in the common definition of vaccine is meant to do. The problem is that in the case of Moderna and in the case of Pfizer, this is not a vaccine. This is a gene therapy. It's a chemotherapy agent that is a gene therapy. It is not a vaccine. What this is doing is it's actually sending a strand of synthetic RNA into the human being and is invoking within the human being the creation of the S1 spike protein, which is a pathogen. It's a toxin inside of the human being. So this is not only not keeping you from getting sick, it's making your body produce the thing that makes you sick. Well, in that sense, it does sound like a vaccine. No, not at all. Because a vaccine is supposed to trigger immunity. It's not supposed to trigger you making a toxin. Oh, right. That's how this differs. It's not somewhat different. It's not the same at all. This is a public manipulation of a misrepresentation of a clinical treatment. It's not a vaccination. It's not a prohibiting infection. It's not a prohibiting transmission device. It's actually a means by which your body is conscripted to make the toxin that then allegedly your body somehow gets used to dealing with. But unlike a vaccine, which is to trigger the immune response, this is actually to trigger the creation of the toxin. Yes, the way I've heard the companies put it is, this is to teach your body to fight this virus when it comes around. So that's how they're presenting it, right? Well, but their clinical trial didn't include any of that as even a possibility within the clinical trial. The clinical trial did not measure the presence or absence of a virus or a virus fragment. The clinical trial did not measure the possibility of transmission suppression. The clinical trial didn't measure any of those things. So this is a case of misrepresentation of a technology, and it's done exclusively so that they can get themselves under the umbrella of public health laws that exploit vaccination. Yeah, I'm letting that sink in for a minute because what you're saying is very different from what most of us have heard in the mainstream news and even from the press releases from these companies. And no, but that's because people aren't reading the actual clinical trials. If you read the clinical trials, nothing that I'm saying is even remotely different. As a matter of fact, the companies themselves have actually said what I'm saying. They said they could not test 
for the existence or absence of the virus, and they could not test for the transmissivity because they said it would be impractical. So the companies themselves have admitted to every single thing I'm saying, but they are using the public manipulation of the word vaccine to actually co-opt the public into believing they're getting a thing which they are not getting. This is not going to stop you from getting coronavirus. It's not gonna stop you from getting sick. In fact, to the contrary, it will make you sick far more often than the virus itself. Now, how can you say that so definitively, David? Because the data is nothing but that. 80% of people receiving, by the time they got the second shot, 80% of people had one or more clinical presentations of COVID-19. 80% of people who have an infection, according to RT-PCR, have no symptoms at all. So people are getting it more from the vaccine, quote unquote. Yes, you will get COVID-19 symptoms from getting the gene therapy passed off as a vaccine, you will get COVID symptoms from that 80% of the time. And if you're exposed to SARS-CoV-2, according to RT-PCR, 80% of the time you will have no symptoms at all. So what is the purpose of getting this vaccine or this gene manipulation, as you call it? Well, it's a gene therapy technology. That's Moderna's own definition. So let's stick with what they say they are. This is a gene therapy technology. And the benefit is non-existent. A human being is going to be potentially exposed to unclassified, both short-term and long-term risks of altering their RNA and DNA from exposure to this gene therapy. And there is no and this is very important to understand, there is no clinical benefit except that in certain instances of COV infection and or COVID-19 exposure, there were a few, and by that I mean less than a few hundred out of clearly nearly 40,000 in the clinical trial, a few hundred people had a few days less severe symptoms with the gene therapy when compared to the other control group. But even in that comparison, if you actually look at the methodology that's in the published papers for the clinical trials, they play games with the data because what they're doing is they're separating reactivity, meaning the way in which a person responds to being exposed to the gene therapy. They separate out adverse events from actual COVID symptoms. And the problem is that COVID symptoms include things like fever, include things like body ache, include things like muscle pain and muscle weakness and things like that. And so they got rid of a lot of what would have been considered to be COVID symptoms by calling them adverse events. If you actually pull that data out and you say, okay, just compare the population that got the gene therapy with the population that didn't get the gene therapy, the population that got the gene therapy had way, way more illness, including COVID-19 symptoms, than the population that didn't get the gene therapy. But because they classified an enormous number of things as adverse events, they essentially technically wiggled themselves into what was this ridiculous 90 plus percent effectiveness. But effectiveness was not effective in blocking illness. It was effective in allegedly shortening the duration of symptoms. 
Right. And I think people are so afraid. So, you know, the, the biggest takeaway from that last little bit <clears throat> is that the fact that uh, they're masquerading this as, as a vaccine when it is nothing but. It, it, there's, there's no vaccine involved in this whatsoever. Like the long term, like, and I've said this plenty of times, the long term effects of this are going to be uh, unbelievable. Like, we don't honestly know what is going to happen to the people that have gotten this if they don't have initial problems. So, you know, I could let him go the whole, the whole thing. And obviously I'd like to, but we're, we're already, you know, um, 10 minutes over here on the podcast. So obviously what I can do is I'll put the, I'll try and, uh, share these, these, both of these clips, uh, to the page, to the Facebook page. And I'll put them on, I believe I've already got them on the telegram page, but I'll share them with you so you guys can listen to them in their entirety because both are worth listening to the whole the whole thing because uh, you know the doctors that are speaking out you're you're start, you're starting to get the top like and one thing I omitted uh, was both these doctors' qualifications like these are top notch doctors like these are the very top uh, with with both that you just listened to uh, their qualifications are off the hook and uh, they are flat out telling you that this is all you know in in for lack of better words, a, a basic hoax, right? Which we've been saying all along, but we do not have the titles that surround, maybe some of you do, but I don't have the uh, PhD behind my name and I'm not taken nearly as seriously as when doctors uh, or scientists uh, tell us this stuff. And now that you've got the, you know, the cream of the crop saying, you know, this isn't even a vaccine, it's a gene therapy, uh, and you're going to probably have more health issues uh, by getting this gene therapy than if you don't. Um, yeah, it just reinforces pretty much what this whole show has been about. So with that being said, I guess we better close this one. Um, if you want to reach out to me or if you want to share or if you want to contribute or if you want to just chat, uh, you can find me on Facebook at Canadian Patriot Radio. The message button comes directly to me, so feel free to use that. Um <clears throat> We are also on Telegram. It's uh, Canadian Patriot Radio. Um, and that, that is an open chat forum. So, forum, so I invite everybody to, uh, to, to go there. Uh, it's just Canadian Patriot Radio. Um, let me know, um, you guys, if you're having trouble finding it, um, like I had said earlier, uh, because that, that's the one that I'm most excited about. Um, also, you can uh, use email if you prefer email. It's CanadianPatriotRadio at gmail.com. So thanks for tuning in and uh, listening to another show, my friends. And uh, I guess that's where we'll end it. So until next time, with all thy sons, command. joining us for another episode of Canadian Patriot Radio. CPR is not filmed before a live studio audience. If you like the show, friends, make sure you give us a thumbs up and share us on all your social media platforms. Until next time, take care. <laughs>